Well, it has been a wonderful morning already. Turn your Bibles to John 19. John 19, as we come to the preaching of God's Word, and we are coming to the final now rejection of Jesus in this passage. Final rejection by the religious leaders of the land, the final moments before Jesus is condemned to death on a cross. We're looking at verses 8 through 16, John 19 and verses 8 through 16. It's dramatic. It's evil. And yet, as we will see, there is sovereignty throughout this passage. Let's read the text set our minds again, starting in verse 8. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him, but the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. So they cried out, away with him. Away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? Chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. Crucifixion has always been Jesus' goal. To die for sin in the only way, in the only place, and at the only time designated by God. The way must be a cross. It's the very picture of being cursed by God. That's Deuteronomy 21. He was hanged on a tree as a cursed of God. This fulfills Isaiah 53. Those who watch Jesus die think he is being smitten, struck down, punished of God by God and afflicted. The way must be a cross. The place must be outside the Jerusalem gates. Symbolic of the day of atonement sacrifice. When a slaughtered bull would be brought outside the camp and burned as a sin offering for the people, that's Leviticus 16. But the bull of the sin offering and the goat of the sin offering whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place shall be taken outside the camp they shall burn their hides, their flesh, and their refuse in the fire. And according to Hebrews 13, this is why Jesus also, Jesus also, he's the fulfillment, he's the picture, he also must suffer outside the gate. 
The place must be outside the Jerusalem gates. And the time, the time must be when the Passover lambs were being slaughtered. Jesus is the final Passover lamb. He's enduring his father's wrath against sin for his people. This is John 1. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He will endure his father's wrath against sin so that the father's anger, the father's judgment could pass over us who come to him in saving faith. The father's wrath passes over us and he bestows on us not judgment but blessing, not wrath but mercy. Christ must be crucified when the Passover lambs are being slaughtered. And because Rome ruled Israel at this point in history, Pilate is the only man, he is the only man who could condemn Jesus to die in this way, in this place, and at this time. And yet, what have we seen over these last few weeks? Amazingly, this Pilate does not want to crucify Jesus. He's seen through the religious leaders' jealousy and lies. He knows Jesus has done nothing deserving of death, which is why Pilate does everything he can to avoid this verdict. We've seen it. Chapter 18, verse 31, he's given no evidence by the chief priests, and thus, verse 31, Pilate says to them, take him yourselves. This is your problem not my problem. Judge him according to your law. Chapter 18, verse 38, after questioning Jesus himself, what does Pilate declare? I find no guilt in him. In between verses 38 and 39, Luke 23 records that Pilate sent Jesus to Herod, hoping that Herod would decide the case. But again, as we saw when we looked at that, if Herod did decide this case, Jesus would have been killed in the wrong place, in Galilee, and at the wrong time after the Passover feast. But it's a verdict Herod was unwilling to make. And so Herod sends Jesus back to Pilate, and with Jesus back in his court, in verse 39, Pilate again tries to release him this time by giving the people the choice. Do you want Jesus the fool or do you want Barabbas the hardened criminal? Yet to Pilate's shock, the crowd calls for him to release Barabbas. Verse 40, not this man, not Jesus, but Barabbas. And yet, as we saw last week, even with these cries from the people, Pilate was still unwilling to condemn Jesus, which is why he had his Roman soldiers beat Jesus and humiliate him by dressing him up as a comic king. He's hoping to invoke sympathy for Jesus amongst the people. He's hoping to satisfy the Jewish leader's call for blood. Look at verse 4, 19.4. Once again, he pronounces Jesus' innocence. Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. It's repeated in verse 6. I find 
no guilt in him. Five times now, five times, Pilate's tried to release Jesus. And yet five times he has not been able to follow through with his plan. The question is why? Why? Answer. Because ultimately, looking at the ultimate reason now, ultimately, death by crucifixion was God's design. Psalm 22, Jesus' enemies must pierce his hands and his feet. Acts 2, Christ must be delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, a plan pictured in every Old Testament sacrifice for sin offered. Death promised by the prophets, a plan that resided in the mind of God before the foundation of the world, his predetermined plan, a plan, continuing Acts 2, that necessitated Jesus being nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put to death. This is why ultimately Jesus was not released by Pilate. Yes, Pilate will subvert justice because of his pride, his evil, his selfish aspirations, and yes, Jesus will die on a cross because of the religious leaders manipulating evil, the murderous jealousy, all of that sin. But ultimately, Jesus will die on a cross because that is his Father's sovereign will and it cannot be thwarted. Think of Jesus' words in Luke 22. The Son of Man is going as it has been determined, determined by God. Think of Peter's words in Acts 4. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Or think of Paul's words, Christ humbled himself by becoming what? Obedient. Obedient to what? His Father's plan, his Father's will. Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's bring last week into this week. If last week we saw God's love for his people play out in verses 1 through 7, as Jesus was mocked and humiliated for us, if that was his love that we saw then this week in verses 8 through 16, we see God's perfect sovereignty in all of this. As Jesus is finally condemned to death, God's sovereignty working itself out to guarantee that his son will die in the right way, in the right place, and at the right time. In the words of one commentator, he writes this, the wonder of all wonders is that God orchestrated the plan to crush Jesus. He was pleased to do this because Jesus' death would bring life to the world. 
This is perfect sovereignty now uniting with saving love. So this is the application we'll focus on this morning. We'll see the sovereign hand of God at work. The wonder of all wonders. God working out his predetermined plan and using sinful leaders and a vengeful crowd and a spineless judge to accomplish all of it. We'll break the passage down this way. Five characters in this drama. Five characters that each fulfill God's sovereign design of sending Jesus to his cross. Let's begin with character number one. Character number one, we see a fearful ruler who changes his plan. A fearful ruler who changes his plan. This is where we left off last week. Pilate, once again, has announced Jesus' innocence. The implication at the end of verse Six, I find now guilt in him. The implication is that Pilate is about to release Jesus. So what do the religious leaders do? They play on Pilate's religious superstition. Verse seven, the Jews answered him, we have a law and by that law he ought to die. That's the law of blasphemy, Leviticus 24. He must die, why? Because... He made himself out to be, here's the key, he made himself out to be the son of God. The leaders know what they're doing. They know this will at least give Pilate pause, which it does in verse eight. Therefore, when Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. Why this fear? Because he's a polytheistic Greek. He believes in a multitude of gods. That phrase Son of God within Greek mythology, that's the context that would have brought tales of semi-divine men visiting earth in human form, children of the gods coming to earth. Think of Acts 14. This is the context. When the crowd saw Paul heal a man, they raised their voice saying, the gods... The gods have become like men and have come down to us. It's Greek mythology. And they began calling Barnabas, Zeus, and Paul Hermes. They think the gods, small g gods, have visited them. And so you can understand Pilate's fear. He's just ordered the vicious flogging of a god, maybe. Has he just called down the anger of the gods upon himself? So Pilate reconsiders now his verdict at this point. He needs to know who he's dealing with. But understand, Pilate is overwhelmed by fear, not just, not just because of the religious leader's words. Just think about it. He thinks the Jews' religion is foolish. It's not just because of the religious leader's words. No, Pilate is afraid because something else happened earlier in the morning. And when you combine that event with what the religious leaders say, you see Pilate's fear deepening further. What happened? What could cause this fear? Listen to Matthew 27. 
Well, Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat. He's waiting for the crowds to choose either Jesus or Barabbas. His wife sent him a message. His wife clearly thinks this to be urgent enough to interrupt a trial. The message says, have nothing to do with that righteous man for last night, literally today. I suffered greatly. I was put in turmoil in a dream because of him. And when you look at Matthew, granted, we're not told where this dream came from. We're not told. It's obvious that it has supernatural origin. It's obvious today she had, at this very moment, the right time she has this dream, Sometime after Pilate left to deal with Jesus, up to this point, Pilate's wife, she doesn't know Jesus. She didn't know he would stand trial before Pilate this morning. The dream is recent, caused her to suffer. She wasted no time. She's relating what happened to her husband. Some supernatural origin you can see. What's the explanation? The explanation is this. God supernaturally intervened. This is his providence. This is his sovereignty. It makes sense as you follow Matthew's gospel. In chapter one of Matthew, God gave Joseph a dream. God gives the dream, explains to him that Mary conceived Jesus as a virgin, gives the dream to assure that Joseph would not divorce Mary, but would adopt Jesus, passing his royal lineage to Jesus, sovereignty of God, providence, In Matthew 2, there's another dream. The Magi were warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod. Why? Because Herod would kill Jesus. The dream assures that Jesus would not be killed as a child. Dreams begin Matthew's gospel, and now dreams end Matthew's gospel. Here's the difference, though. In Matthew 1, Matthew 2, God intervenes with a dream to protect Jesus' life. But here, in the case of Pilate's wife, God intervenes with a dream to secure Jesus' death. Back to John here, Pilate is now putting two and two together. All of it's coming together for him. It's unnerving him to the core. He's thinking of the calm boldness Jesus had when he was questioned earlier in the morning. That is so different from every other accused criminal who stood before Pilate. He's never seen that before. He's thinking back to verse 36 when Jesus said he possesses a kingdom not of this world. He's thinking of his wife's dream, again, of obvious supernatural origin. It caused her great angst and fear. He's putting all together And now the Jews, the leaders, tell him that Jesus claimed to be divine? To possess supernatural powers? Maybe he's a God-man who Pilate just flogged? What's going on here? So rather than letting Jesus go, which he was going to do in verse 6, remember, that's his plan. Pilate changes course. And he tries to alleviate his fear. Look at verse 9. 
by entering into the praetorium again and asking Jesus, where are you from? He knows he's from Galilee. He's already sent him to Herod. That's not the question. The question is this. Are you from heaven? Or what kind of small g God are you? What God sent you? Why are you here? And now that I flogged you, what are you planning on doing with me? That's the question. This is a living picture of Proverbs 21. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Sovereign God using a pagan ruler's superstition and fear to change his plans. Again, Pilate wanted to stop the trial. Here he continues the trial. Again, all in the sovereign rule so that his son, God's son, will die as determined. Leads into character number two. Character number two, a silent savior who secures his death. A silent savior who secures his death. Verse nine at the end is fascinating, but Jesus gave him no answer. He stays silent. He offers no defense. Again, why? Why silence at this point? Well, a few reasons. First, because Jesus had already answered this question back in verse 36. It's a testimony that Pilate rejected. The kingdom's not of this world. He rejected it with that statement, what is truth? What is truth? You claim to speak truth. You speak nothing but foolishness. And so Jesus will not at this point throw the pearls of his gospel before swine again. This is an example of God's wrath of abandonment here. God's wrath of abandonment when the Lord turns an unbeliever over to the hardness of his own unbelief. But there's a second reason that Jesus gives Pilate no answer. It is because if Jesus did confirm his divine sonship, if he did contribute to Pilate's fear, Pilate would have released him. Because if scourging a divine or semi-divine being terrified Pilate, how much more horrified would Pilate be if he actually crucified an offspring of Zeus? If Pilate thought flogging called down God's, the God's wrath upon him, what would murdering a God do? And so in obedience to his father's will, Jesus stays silent. He stays silent. Again, why? So that he is not released. So that the trial continues. So that he will be condemned to his cross. And that is what we see in Isaiah 53. We see the prophecy of silence, but notice the connection. Isaiah 53, 7. Though the suffering servant, the Messiah Christ, was oppressed, that Jesus came under the judicial authority of a Gentile ruler, and though he was afflicted, it's a word that means mistreated or humiliated, it's what we saw last week, 
yet he did not open his mouth. He stayed silent. Exactly what we see here. Why? Why? Because this silence was essential if he was going to be continuing the prophecy, if he was going to be a lamb that is led to the slaughter. If he speaks here, if he defends himself, if he gives Pilate the testimony, the proof he's asking for, there is no slaughter. So, Isaiah says, that's the reason he did not open his mouth. Jesus will not give Pilate the testimony he's asking for because he must be the slaughtered sacrifice. Because that is the only sacrifice continuing the prophecy who will be crushed by his father. That's the one who must be put to grief for our sins so that he would render himself a guilt offering for his people. The cross is necessary. This is why the Savior is silent. He is fulfilling his Father's design. He is staying obedient to his Father's will so that he secures his death and is not released by this Roman judge. It leads to character number three. Character number three, a sovereign God who possesses all authority. A sovereign God who possesses all authority. This really is the key to the passage. Pilate's aggravated. Jesus refuses to speak to him. So, verse 10, Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me? It's a veiled threat. The to me is emphatic here. Literally, to me, you do not speak? Have you forgotten who I am, Jesus? Let's put it this way. Do you not want me to let you go? Aren't you willing to fight for your life? Verse 10, do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? And the irony is, of course, Jesus knew that. That's why Jesus stayed silent. But with Pilate's boast here, Jesus now speaks. Pilate is boasting of possessing authority over life and death. That is authority that belongs to God alone. And so Jesus speaks. He will not give Pilate what Pilate wanted here, but Jesus will let Pilate see behind the scenes. He shows us what's really going on. He shows us the one who actually possesses the authority over Jesus' life the true king ruler over this charade of a trial. Continue verse 11. Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Oh, Pilate, you think you're in control here? You think you can wave your imperial scepter to accomplish your design? How wrong you are. 
there's an infinitely greater authority at work carrying out an infinitely greater plan. And you, Pilate, though you're the ruler, the governor, you, Pilate, are powerless to do anything other than carry out that plan. This is Daniel 4. The most high is ruler over the realm of mankind, and every king, every ruler falls under God's jurisdiction. Every decision a king makes always falls within the design of the sovereign. The most high is ruler, and he bestows on whom he wishes. And thus, verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth, including every so-called king, are accounted as what? Nothing. They are mere pawns in God's design. But he, God, does according to his will. It cannot, it will never be thwarted. In the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hands or to say to him, what have you done? We're not God's counselor. This is Romans 13. There is no authority except from God. God placed Pilate here for this moment, this position. And those which exist are established by God. This is why the psalmist can say in Psalm 2, he who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at the kings of the earth who take their stand and the rulers who take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. He laughs. Why? Because it is God who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings, Daniel 2. He laughs because our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. He laughs because whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth. You bring all of that to John 19, Pilate may have had the power of Caesar backing him, but it was delegated power. It was delegated to him by the only sovereign. One commentator writes this, love it, Pilate was not in control of Jesus. Pilate was not in control of Jesus and Jesus was not ready to let Pilate think he was. Another commentator wrote this, Jesus is not afraid for he knows that human authority will not decide his fate. And yet, and yet, within this sovereign control, Jesus makes it clear Pilate is still responsible. Pilate is still responsible for what he is about to do. He's still responsible for the sin he is about to commit. He's going to condemn an innocent man to a cross. So finish verse 11. Jesus says, For this reason he who delivered me to you, speaking of the religious leaders, the ones who saw Jesus' miracles, the one who heard Jesus' teachings, the one who had the covenants, all the Old Testament prophecies of Christ, 
Jesus says they have the greater sin, the greater sin. The principle is the closer to the truth you are, the greater the sin of rejection is. So they have the greater sin. But notice what Jesus is not saying here. He's not excusing Pilate's sin. He's not saying you have no sin. He says there's a greater sin, but you still have sin. What Pilate will do is still offensive to God. Though God possesses all Authority, Pilate will still be held responsible for his actions. And he will be held responsible for his actions because he will do what he wants to do. He will do what he wants to do. And thus he is culpable for his spineless capitulation to the Jewish leaders, even though by doing what he wants to do, he's carrying out God's sovereign design. And so here's your theological phrase for the day, right? Here's the theological phrase for the day. This is what is called biblical compatibilism. That's your theological phrase. Use it at lunch this afternoon. Biblical compatibilism, it means this, that God's sovereign plan is worked out to perfection, always. It's never thwarted. It's never thwarted by man's actions or man's sin. Well, at the same time, man remains responsible for every action and every sin he chooses to commit, even though it fulfills God's sovereign design. It's exactly what we see here. Pilate will wield his authority. It's delegated authority, but he still wields his authority, and yet in so doing, doing what he wants to do, he will carry out God's sovereign design and will be held responsible for his sinful acts. It's the Genesis 50-20 principle. What man means for evil, what man means for evil, God and his sovereignty means for good. And here in John 19, God means Pilate's sin for the good of redemption for the cross. leads to character number four. Character number four, an angry mob who manipulates a spineless judge. An angry mob who manipulates a spineless judge. Look at verse 12. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts. He keeps on making efforts to release Jesus. The sixth time now, Pilate tries to let Jesus go. I don't think he's, any, he's afraid any longer that Jesus is some divine being, some son of God who might call down fire on him. But Pilate is still trying to let him go because Pilate knows Jesus to be innocent of any crime. And so the Jews have one last card to play, one last card. This is their ace in the hole. They will use Pilate's political aspirations. They use his religious ideas. Now they will use his political aspirations, his thirst, his desire for a political name, political influence. And they will use that lust against him. And so verse 
12, the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. No friend of Caesar, that's a title of status. They know what they're doing. They know the threat. A, a title of status, a designation that someone is a member of an inner circle. And this is the title that had been given to Pilate by his mentor, Sejanus. He received this title, friend of Caesar. But there's a problem for Pilate. Because about a year and a half before this, Sejanus, again, the one who gave Pilate this special status, this title, he had fallen out of favor with Caesar Augustus. And he was executed on October 19th, A.D. 31, about a year and a half before. And so what are the Jews threatening here? Simply this. If you don't do what we want you to do, if you don't kill Jesus, we're going to take our case to the emperor, Caesar. And at this point, again, an emperor, this emperor was highly paranoid of any disloyalty. He would kill you on the spot. We're going to bring our case before Caesar, and you will have no ally on your side. Sejanus is dead. You will lose that title, friend of Caesar. You might even lose your life. That's the threat. Which is why they say in verse 12, everyone who makes himself out to be king, opposes Caesar. Are you really going to choose this foolish, self-proclaimed king at the expense of your career or your life? Are you willing to exchange your title of friend of Caesar for the title enemy of Caesar or traitor to Caesar? Is that what you're willing to do? Are you willing to lose your life for Jesus? Now, you understand the gospel call is just that, right? It's their ace in the hole. It worked to perfection. It sealed Jesus' fate. Look at verse 13. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he understands the threat. He capitulates. And now the moment that all redemptive history had been pointing to, that very moment has come. That moment has come here. John knows it. And so John sets the place, he sets the day, and he sets the time of Jesus' final condemnation. First of all, notice the place of this condemnation. Verse 13, Pilate brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat, that elevated platform outside of the palace. He'd be overlooking the crowd now. It's a place called the pavement, referring to those large stones Pilate would have sat upon. Hebrew, Gabbatha, which means high or ridge. Again, it's elevated, looking down. This is the place of Jesus' condemnation. Second, Jesus set, uh, John sets the day of this condemnation. Continue verse 14. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. The place is the pavement. The day is the day of preparation for the Passover, which means this is the very day the Jews would bring their Passover lambs to the temple to be slaughtered. 
And then third, John sets the hour of Jesus' condemnation. Look at verse 14. It was about the sixth hour. It's Roman time here. This would be somewhere between 6 and 7.30 a.m., somewhere between that time, which means this, that Jesus will hang on the cross. Jesus will hang on the cross in just a little bit. He'll hang on the cross when the chief priests would be slaughtering the Passover lambs. This is perfection. This is prophecy being fulfilled. The gospel that begins with that declaration, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world now ends with Jesus being condemned as the final Passover lamb for God's people. This is the depth. This is the extent of God's sovereignty, his authority. This is particular sovereignty. This is sovereignty down to the very details of life, to the very minutes of life. It's a sovereignty that oversees an angry mob. Sovereignty that oversees a mob that will manipulate a spineless judge. But all of it is so that God's Passover lamb will be slain at the perfect time. It leads finally into character number five. Character number five, evil priests who commit final blasphemy. Evil priests who commit final blasphemy. At this point, Pilate is unwilling to uphold justice. He fears losing his political standing. So he brings Jesus out one last time. Verse 14, it's sarcastic. He announces, behold your king, sarcasm, it's mockery. The Jewish leaders have pressured him. And so now he will shame them. Behold your king. Here's the king you've been waiting for. Here's the best Israel can offer. It's a final mocking against his bitter rivals. And it caused the people to say this, verse 15, away with him. Away with him. And that word away can also mean raise. Raise him above the ground. Next phrase, crucify him. Don't insult us by calling him our king. Crucify him. Give him the death he deserves. More mocking, Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king Shall I kill all of those messianic promises you've hoped in? Shall I wield Rome's power to rule over you? I'm going to put your king on a cross. Is that what you want? It's a taunting question. Shall I crucify your king? It incites this final blasphemy. Verse 15, the chief priest answered, and these are fateful words, we have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. They spurn Israel's entire heritage. They deny every promise of a coming king given to them throughout the Old Testament. And with these words, they blaspheme their God. 
They revoke Isaiah 26. O Lord our God, other masters beside you have ruled us, but through you alone we confess your name. You're our only king. Not anymore. Our allegiance now belongs to Caesar. It's amazing, just days before when the Jews entered Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, they would have sung the Hallel Psalms, Psalm 113 through 118. They would have then concluded that praise with this prayer. Listen to the prayer. This is their conclusion. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Beside you, we have no king. We have no king but you. It's a divine king they now reject. It's a final blasphemy that seals their soul. And with that blasphemous sin, verse 16, Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. Pilate finally gives the order. He's tried six times not to give. The order would be this, on the cross you shall go. It's the normal order. On the cross you shall go. And now the promised son is ready to die. There's evil. There's sin. And yet in verse 16, Jesus now will die exactly as predicted. At the right place outside the gates of Jerusalem. At the right time while the Passover lambs are being slaughtered and in the right way by hanging on a tree cursed by God with his hands and feet pierced. That's the redemptive will of the Father. That's the redemptive will of Christ. This is the sovereignty of mercy as the Father offers up his only Son for those who will come to Christ in saving faith. This is the sovereignty of hope. A reminder that evil will never have the final say. And this is the sovereignty of love as Jesus remains obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Father, we confess you to be our sovereign God. And in a day where there is so much unrest and so many questions and fear, anxiety, angst. I pray that you would remind us of this attribute that you possess, that you are the sovereign king over all things that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. They would cling to that truth that what men mean for evil, you always mean for the good of your people. Always. That in faith we would believe that and when we doubt it, we would look back to the greatest evil ever to be committed, the murder of your son, and yet it falls under your sovereign design because of your love for your glory 
and your love for us. Cause us to remember that, cling to that, and offer you praise. Pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.